Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short interactive fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. Today's podcast is with Charlie Cook, editor and publisher of the Cook Political Report. Described by the New York Times as a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative, Bob Schaefer called it the Bible of the political community. Charlie gave a lot of wisdom in this podcast, and we've broken it up into two episodes, with the first outlining Charlie's career advice as we get a more detailed understanding of how networking and connections in D.C., as well as a focus on political commentary early in his career, made him the foremost expert in the field. In the second episode, Charlie dives deeper into his detailed thoughts regarding the Democratic nominees, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Michael Bloomberg as well as the Republican strategy to get Donald Trump re-elected in 2020. Hillary Clinton won the election by popular vote in 2016, but as we know, we don't elect presidents based on the popular vote. With us today is Charlie Cook. Charlie is one of the most admired and respected political pundits in the United States. He's the go-to guy for all reporters and politicians, and he's the editor of the Cook Political Report. Today, we are lucky enough to have him here at Asia Society. Thank you for having me back. I, I was actually here three years ago, and I love I love Hong Kong, and I think the Asia, I did the Bert Levin lecture at the Asia Society then, and you know I think the Asia Society does great work, and it's a it's a great 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 resource for Hong Kong and for the entire Pacific Basin. It's very kind of you to say, Charlie. Um, you were saying that Hong Kong is one of your top four cities. That's yeah, my favorite cities in the world are Florence, Paris, uh, London, and Hong Kong, and and Hong Kong, you know, it, it's. It's, you know, for an American, it's exotic, it's vibrant. I mean, it's just such an interesting place, but it's accessible. You know, as some, I don't speak, I don't speak Chinese, uh, Mandarin or Cantonese or anything. Uh, so, but you can function yes. relatively well. I, you know, I can get in a cab tonight and go from Central to Causeway Bay to a restaurant by myself, eat, have dinner, get in a cab, get back, and I'm good. And, you know, some, lots of places around the world... Not that easy. No. Nah. Yeah. And it may not be very smart, but it's certainly not easy. So I, I love Hong Kong. I've been here like five times. Oh, it's beautiful. It's funny you say that, because there are people here that you meet that, you know, grown up here, gone to the international schools, don't know any Cantonese or Mandarin, but have done just like you were saying. It's just... You don't need it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, some people are, are, are probably better at languages than others. And I'd like to think if I'd lived here for a long time, I would pick it up. But having said that, um, languages are not my strong suit. So I, I, I could very well end up just like them. <laughs> well, you were saying that, uh, in terms of, that, that kind of comes down to sort of a career advice that we were talking about yeah. earlier in terms of, you know, you knew that languages were not your strong suit, but you focused on your strong suit. Uh, could we just talk about that a little bit yeah. more? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that, um, first of all, when you come out come out of college, mm-hmm. you know, some people know what they want to do right. and, and everything. Some don't. Right. Um, you know what your interests are, mm-hmm. which may be lifelong interests, and maybe, maybe you switch directions. Uh, but I think it's really important in your first few years out of school to do a candid evaluation. Mm-hmm. What am I good at? And even more importantly, what am I not good at? And it's, it's how, do you do, how do you choose a direction and how do you 
pursue a career that maximizes what you're good at and avoids or mitigates or you find some way to compensate for what your weaknesses are. And, you know, when I was younger, I, I'm 66 years old now, uh, I don't, I didn't, I, I have attention, I have ADD, attention deficit disorder. It's not ADHD because I don't have the hyperactivity, right. but it's ADD. And I didn't know that for a long time, but I knew what my strengths and weaknesses were. Mm. And that I knew I had a hard time staying focused mm. and staying on task. And there used to a term that they used to use, executive function disorder, <laughs> which is a nice word for being disorganized. And, and so it's a little bit of a curse, but it's also a blessing in a different way because I think, or I think that a lot of people with ADD are they think in a more open, right. multidisciplinary way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can connect dots that somebody with a more organized mind might not see it. Right. And so it, it's a different perspective. And, and going into, I started my business in 1984, uh, so I was, um, you know, just turned 30. Um, it, it, um, I found, I found a way that maximizes my ability to an analyze, but I knew I wasn't a good manager. Okay. I, I knew, I, you know, and, and I've found ways uh, to compensate for not able to, not being a terribly organized person. And a lot of it has been over-organizing, hyper-organized. I mean, every time I have an event, I mean, for today, I had a clear plastic sleeve with everything related to the Asia Society in one place and everything I did, all those six events I've done in Hong Kong this week, each one had their own sleeve and you learn. And every, every, every speech, every serious meeting, I mean real serious meeting, right. I have, it's printed out on paper, it's in a sleeve, it's in chronological order. So that, I mean, and, 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 and is it a little anal? Yeah, but you know what? It's the only way I can operate effectively. So it's figure out what you're good at and what you're not and avoid what you're not. And, um, and I, I found what I'm good at and I found what I'm not good at. And, and, and another thing is I'm good, I'm good at standing up and giving a speech. Right. I'm good at sitting around a table and talking about politics. I'm not as good on writing a 50-page report mm. because of the ADD. Right. Having, staying focused. Uh, I'm one of the two principal co-authors this year uh, of the Almanac of American okay. Politics. And I did what turned out to be a 17,000-word sort of a, the equivalent of a tour de force of what's going on. And, and it's a lot of what I put in speeches, but or it goes in a little bit more history and stuff. But um, that took me months to do, mm. and a lot longer than it should, because the output that I normally do, my columns, right. are generally around 800 words a piece, and I crank out two of those uh, uh, a week, right. and I have no problem doing those, yeah, but a long, topic. bigger project, uh, and that's when I, I realized, okay, I need to get on some medication <laughs> to, uh, seriously, I'm very serious, I went on Adderall. Really? I mean, how many 60, at that point, 65-year-old people uh, you know, usually it's like a 13-year-old boy, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> but it has made me 
focus and, focus yeah. and able to do things. But I steered my career towards speaking mm -hmm. as opposed to generating paper, right. reports, yes. that sort of thing. So I think it's important to find what you're good at and find out what, and figure out what you're not good at and steer that way. And then you read everything you can get your hands on. Okay. And when, you know, if I'm talking to people, you know, unless we're talking about Washington Nationals baseball, you know, or family or something, the odds are pretty high that I'm going to be talking about politics and American politics. And when that's the primary thing you do every single day, mm -hmm. and you're talking with other people, and other people have ideas, and maybe mm -hmm. it's, it's something that you can, you know, you're kind of uh, collating, you're, 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 you're pulling to, uh, well, that's a good, or it makes you think of something else. Right. So if you're reading, if you're talking to people, and other people are, a lot of other people are interested in politics, mm -hmm. but they have day jobs. Right. They have real jobs yes. that they have to pay attention to. Well, this is what I do. So I always talking to people, I always pick up things, mm -hmm. or I'm thinking about it. If I'm walking down the street, there's a pretty good chance I'm thinking about And I think of a better, what's the best way of saying something? Right. What's a way to make this concept sound like something that a normal, reasonably intelligent person is likely to understand? What are the metaphors or analogies or, 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 or whatever? And um, anyway, so uh, as I said, it, it's, it's worked for, well for me. Um, and uh, um, I've been pretty good at it, and and uh, but um, it, it's um, but I stay. I try to stay in my lane. I don't. I don't, I don't talk about trade mm -hmm. because I don't know much about trade. Now, do I read some newsletters about trade so that I try not to be ignorant, but I try not to open my mouth too much. Mm -hmm. And same with foreign policies. A lot of these things. I want to. I'd like to understand them. Economics. I like to understand them. I think it helps me to understand a little bit, but don't talk about it. Right. Because you're, if you're trying to hold yourself up as mm -hmm. the or one of the biggest ex, one of the best experts in the, around mm -hmm. on something, the more different things you try to master, the less you're going to be Phoenix. good at right. that, and the more likely you are to say something that's dumb right. or that's shallow or whatever. So. I try very hard to stay in my lane and it's worked well. And I see other people that have, some other people that have tried to do everything. this or something like yeah. this and have an opinion about everything. Gets, it, it gets in the way. Yeah. It gets in the way. So if you do have opinions about things, it'll kind of be off the record or... Yeah, I, I, the thing is, I, I have really, really good friends in each party mm -hmm. and sources and people that I trust and they trust me and not to betray their trust. And if I'm, well, first of all, if I'm a partisan hack, if for either party or ideological, and people pretty much can guess what I'm gonna say or what I yeah. think about something, Without, yeah. then first of all, why the hell should they subscribe to your newsletter or why should they pay you to do a speech or whatever? So, um, I, and, and the thing is, in, at least in the United States, you have cable, you have talk radio, and a lot of it's really ideological. Yeah. It's hard left or hard right. It's, it's partisan. 
and, and as partisan and as ideological as a lot of these people are, it does create a little bit of a niche for someone in the middle and where people look at you and say, okay, I know you're not right 100% of the time and you don't know everything in the world, but you look at this pretty closely and you look at it objectively, what's your best guess? Right. And, and um, but so I, I, I try not to think partisan thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's, look, it's impossible not to, it's hard. But, but if you try to subordinate, if, you know, that sort of thing. And the other thing is, um, there is nothing in the world I enjoy more than sitting down with a Republican or a Democratic pollster right. and have breakfast or a steak dinner and some good wine. And I can't quote them on anything, <laughs> but it makes me smarter. Right. And it makes people who listen to me or read me be more insightful to them. And they may not know where I came across this, but, and I, you know, trading emails with friends on both sides. And, you know, for example, there's a, a Democratic pollster and a prominent Democratic pollster in Washington. And we have breakfast, I'd say every five, six weeks and just over breakfast, talk for an hour and a half. And he's probably 15 years younger than I am, but uh, he is closer to the age of a lot of the managers and other people than I am, but I've been around longer than he has, and, and we both gain enormously right. from that. And I have lots of friends and people on both sides that I do that, and it, it, it helps enormously. And sometimes people will, will share some data, share a memo, that I can't print it, I can't quote it, mm-hmm. but if it informs my judgment and insight, then it 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 helps a lot. And it, it uh, so anyway, that that's actually the part of my job that I I like the most. Right. That's actually quite interesting uh, in terms of um, uh, a lot of what gets done. Uh, here in Asia, anyway, I think it's it's very related to what gets how things get done there with your network almost. Um, and networking seems to be a very important part of absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of it's, it's a bit reading, mm-hmm. but a lot of it's the networking, mm-hmm. and and each one doing only one, you could be pretty good, mm-hmm. but to try to be really really good, you got to do both. Are you, you a world class networker? I I think I. Well, I, I, early, early, early in my career, um, I got my start um, working in campaigns, working right. on the Democratic side. And by the early, by in the 70s, and by the early mid-80s, I found myself voting for Republicans almost half the time. And I wasn't becoming a Republican, I was becoming a swing voter. Right. Uh, I was splitting my ticket, voting for a Democrat for this office, a Republican for this office. And I, I thought I love politics and I think I'm good at this, but I don't want to work for either side. Mm-hmm. And you can't work, at least in the United States, at any kind of, you can't work for both sides. So I came up with the idea of a newsletter that would cover elections and campaigns from the perspective of someone who had been a pollster, right. who had worked in campaigns, but as being as objective as they humanly can. And so it was great fun. But in one of my part of partisan job I had before, there was a guy that worked for one of the broadcast networks. And this guy's job, he was not on television, but he was with their elections unit. 
and his job was to be like a vacuum cleaner, right? To suck up information from everywhere, yeah. from everywhere. and through my and I had a, a, a well placed job at that point, and this guy John would call me almost every single day, and when he'd call me he would have two, three, four, five little nuggets of information mm -hmm. that I didn't know, right. but would be very helpful. So, hey, that makes me smarter. That makes me better. But, so, when I would know something that if I could tell him, I would do that so that he would continue, because I want that flow still coming in. and. For every one thing I'd give him, I'd get three or four things that he got elsewhere, and he knew that I would never betray his trust on what he taught, on, 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 on right. where he got it, where I got it, that sort of, and he would never betray my trust. Right. And so it, it just, and, and as I went career-wise, and you know, your careers go up and down, you do different jobs, and every jo time I changed jobs, the number of times a week or a month that I would get calls from him would change. And some jobs it would be almost every day, right. and sometimes it'd be once a month. Okay. And, and you know, I don't take it personally. It's just you know, but I where, but but it, I would if I came across something that I thought would be very helpful to him, I'd call him up and tell him yeah. because I want him. You know, and and also he's a friend, and so he he they used in the old days before you know cell phones and stuff, we had something called a Rolodex. Right. And it was this circular thing that had these you know, cards and each card for the people and you write you know, names and addresses and phone numbers and you know, spouse's name and you know, little things about them. And, and he had the best Rolodex, I think, in American politics. And, um, and I, was, you know, I was never as good as he is, but that was a model. It was like, wow. That's how you seriously do that. So he was a world-class networker. And in fact, I had a job and um, um, a, a, a senator that I'd worked for was in a somewhat difficult race. And um, um, this, um, I would, uh, I'm trying to make sure I, I don't betray anything, even though this was a long, 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 long time ago, and the senator's not even in politics, he's retired now. but. Um, this I knew they were doing a poll in their race. They'd, they'd be doing a poll next week, and um, my friend called me up and said, "My understanding is the poll shows this." Mm -hmm. I didn't know the poll was back, and I write it down. And afterwards, I. Um, I waited a few hours and called somebody that was working with the campaign and said, uh, well, I hear there's some interesting numbers. And this one particular guy said, well, I don't think they're back yet. I haven't heard them. Hmm. And then a couple hours later, he called me back and said, well, actually, they are back. And I told him what I thought, I, 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 I'm under the impression that it roughly shows this. Hmm. He said, I, I I don't think it's back. I'll call me a couple hours later and said, um, whoever your source was was pretty good because right. those numbers were right. Wow. And before all the key people in that campaign knew, 
this guy knew. This guy knew. And it was like, holy, you know, it, and it's like, wow, that, that, that's, that's, that's wired. Mm-hmm. That's wired. And so you, 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 you see people who do either what you're doing or something kind of like it or something else that do it really well, and you pick up their best habits. Right. And um, so it's fun. So you're constantly building your network and you're building your sources and you're picking up all these habits that you learn along the way. What are, uh, you know, for, for future uh, 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 our youth that are listening out there that want to sort of go down this path, do you have any sort of uh, advice that you would give to sort of the young audience? Yeah, interesting. And I should say, look, I'm 66 years old and so I'm sort of in the twilight. I mean, it's... it's, it's uh, and we have on our team, we have, I have five other people that work with me and, you know, that are fabulous. And, uh, you know, Amy Walter is our national editor and uh, she is on the PBS NewsHour every Monday night. And every time they have a debate or anything, convention or anything, she's on, you know, she's on there. Um, and she does what I do, sort of the national macro. Right. And we have a, a and she's about 15 years younger than I am. And then we have a house editor, David Wasserman, who's about 15 years younger than she is. So he's like 35, 36. And he is our expert in the house. And each of the four and 35 house races, boy, he knows them better than anybody. I used to know a lot of that. I was never as good as he is, but I used to know it pretty well. And that's what he does. And he's been doing this for years. And the guy's like a, a... a, a damn encyclopedia. Right. Um, and then we had a Senate governor's editor that had worked with me since 1988, and she just retired recently. And we've got a new person, uh, Jessica Taylor, just came on board, but she was at National Public Radio. She was a political reporter, okay. and gosh, she's really, really good. So you know, they're on the sort of the ascendancy of their careers. Right. And so they're doing, they're doing more of the hunting and gathering and building their Rolodexes mm. while... I'm, I, I try to make, you know, do, but, but I'm, 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 I'm towards the end. I'm more at harvest time right. than, you know, hoeing and watering right. and fertilizing and, and plant, you know. Uh, but but, it, it, but it's, it's fine. Figure out, you know, who knows more than anybody else. Listen to them, right. read them, pay attention, and, and learn from them. Um, in, in Washington, and I suspect this is probably true in Hong Kong and any other capital or, you know, national capital or state capital, provincial capital, um, Washington is kind of a small town in right. some ways. And the people that are in the business directly related to that sort of thing, it, it, it's not a whole lot of people. And... If you're planning, hoping to make a career or something, you know, whether it's that one specific job or just in the, the, the field, I found that you really don't want to screw people over. Right. Okay. Because everything that get, goes around comes around. Mm-hmm. And, and first of all, you know, I try to be a nice guy and yeah. a golden rule and all that. But, um, and I, I think that, that that has paid off very well for me. But... You treat somebody really badly, you go out your way to hurt them or something, uh, you never know it, mm-hmm. but and you may never see it coming, but they could screw you and it could cost you a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I think being very, very mindful 
Um, and at the same time, I've, I've thousands of times I've had young people that a friend sent them to me and I've given them some career advice or something. And a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years later, you know, I came by your office back in 1995 right. or 2011 and you gave me some really, really, really good advice. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it, 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 you get payback. And sometimes, you know, hey, they do something to help me as a result. And uh, so that, that's helpful. Or you um, speak to classes, mm -hmm. at, you know, at local universities and stuff. And I've had people come back and say, you know, um, I heard you speak at the American University Campaign Management Institute. And I remember you saying, da, 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 you know, and, and, and uh, um, a week or two ago, I was at something in New York and speaking to a group of Wall Street people. And the head guy there, pretty big dog, um, not a big name by, that a lay person would know, but in, the, in the the, that world, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, had me come speak. And... I didn't know if I'd ever met him before. I mean, I knew his background, I knew who he was and stuff. And he said, back in such and such a year, you spoke to a group and I remember you said, it was like, he, and he gave some analogy that I used in a speech uh -huh. that was really vivid. Right. And it sort of explained. And, you know, so, and, uh, yeah, 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 and and we're, you know, you, but, and that that's one where where it helps out if you really think about what's the best way of putting this, and and you know, actually in this particular case, it was, um, um, trying to, it was right after the two thousand sixteen election, so right after Donald Trump won, and I had used uh, in this particular case, I used the metaphor that. Sometimes voters just get really angry and they do something that may be unlike anything that they've ever done before. And it may actually seem a little out of character, but it's like a primal scream. And it's like somebody sitting at a bar getting really upset about something and grabbing a bottle of gin and throwing it through the plate glass window. That's what voters, that's what some voters did in 2016 in electing Donald Trump. Right. So the head of this private equity firm, huge, that was something that made him visualize something I was trying to get across. And it was like, wow, I mean, because this guy's, you know, he could, he could buy me with, you know, yeah. A rounding error in his checkbook, you know, yeah. but but where it, it made an impression clearly. I mean, that goes back to your skill of uh, you know getting the best metaphors to describe specifically what is happening. Yeah, because because a lot sometimes people they could be brilliant. Yes. And they can't communicate. Yeah, they could be PhDs. They could be absolutely brilliant, but they can't get a concept across. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, I don't have a PhD or a master's or anything, but. Um, but I think I am good at that. Now, my biggest competitor, who's now semi-retired, Stu Rothenberg, he did something mm -hmm. called the Rothenberg Click Report, and now his 
his protege is, is carrying it on inside elections with Nathan Gonzalez. But my friend Stu Rothenberg, you know, he does have the PhD. <laughs> and he had the competing newsletter. And we were very, very, very close friends right. and co direct competitors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if somebody wanted me to do something, I couldn't, I'd give it to, I'd, I'd send it to him or vice versa. And, uh, you know, I introduced him to the Speakers Bureau that I use. And we, we could very, you know, go to each other's house and have, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing is, if you do something, this goes back to a question you asked a little while ago. I think in life, if you're doing something that's worth something, you're probably going to have competition. Yes. And the question is, is it going to be competition that respects you and that will, or is it going to be somebody that tries to stab you in the back? Mm -hmm. And Stu and I, for 30 odd years, had, the, and still have, I mean, even though he's semi-retired, but he still does speeches and stuff and some writing, but a terrific relationship because I would rather have a competitor that I respect and that I can learn from right. than someone that's going to screw me or someone that I, you know, and, and when we do things, a lot of times we'll do things together, you know, dog and pony shows. Mm -hmm. And I'm always anxious to hear his take on right. things. And how is he, you know, does he think something that I don't think, if we agree, I feel better. If we disagree, I go back and take a look at it again okay. because there's a 50-50 chance he's right and I'm wrong. Right. Or if he's got a, as, as a, a little different way of, of communicating something, you know, I take note and, 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 and you know, that sort of thing. So, and, and it's just fun. You know, it's fun to have somebody that does exactly what you do. They have a different, different background. I grew up in Louisiana, southern part of the United States. Uh, Stu worked and grew up in New York City in Manhattan. Um, you know, I'm a non-practice, you know, borderline non-practicing Methodist. He's Jewish. I mean, we, you know, in, in some ways our backgrounds are really different. He's an academic. I was a lousy student. But we do the same thing, and, you know, it's fun. It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting what you said there, I mean, especially with that metaphor. I wanted to sort of uh, go back to that. You, you, you wrote sometimes they just really, the voters are angry, out of character, that primal scream. Um, and they want to throw something across the bar. It's, it's you know, this, this polarization, it's, 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 it's plaguing, you know, American politics, but it's plaguing a lot of sort of the global uh, yeah. sort of society at the moment. Uh, and uh, a lot of that is driven um, on technology, I guess. And uh, yeah. something I want to touch base on is, uh, I think it was Trump's digital manager, uh, I think Pascal, Brad, Brad Pascal, yeah. Yeah. he was saying yeah. how, you know, he said it was a liberal dream to build these tools of technology and they were hoping for this utopia but we figured out a way to, uh, to sort of uh, find our base and educate them and, and get them out to vote. Uh, is this something that they should be, like, are they worried about this? Well, I mean, I think if you're doing anything worth anything, as I said, you're going to have competition and or you're going to have other people that do something that's kind of sort of like it mm -hmm. and you keep an eye out for best practices. Right. You know, uh, if somebody's doing either what you're doing better than you are or something kind of like it, or maybe it's on a completely different subject, but there's some analogy. If you could pick up some technique, some approach, then it makes you better at, at, at your job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, early on, uh, you know, Howard Dean was, uh, 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 he was a pioneer in social media and that sort of thing. 
but after he lost the, you know, but after he lost the nominee, I guess I was John Kerr, his campaign, you know, and and so some of this, had, but but before that, anyway, it's each side is watching what the other side's doing, and if they're doing something smarter or different, it may be something that you want to embrace. Right. So in this particular case, it was it was Trump's guy from the 16 campaign looking at things that Democrats had done. Yeah. And giving it a twist, a different approach, and may or may not have been doing it better than Democrats were in 2016. And my guess is he had studied what the Obama campaign, you know, had done. But you're right on a global basis where, um, you know, there's there was kind of a global order, mm-hmm. and things were fairly orderly. Right. And globalization, trade. The economy changing, going from a, an agrarian farm economy to an industrial economy, right. now moving to a knowledge-based economy, right. where people are having to adapt, mm-hmm. adapt or die, you know. And career-wise, you know, who nobody wants to be a dinosaur. Yeah. And if you you either make the turn or you don't make the turn. And I think for some people in the United States and around the world, they had a skill set that worked really, really well. But the world's changed. The economy's changed. And maybe they don't have to change and they could do it, finish out their career without having to change. But a lot of people do have to change, particularly the younger they are, the more you have to change. And, And changing demographically, I mean, in the United States, um, used to be, you know, if you were in the United States, if you were a white guy, in terms of opportunity, yeah. you were kind of at the top of the food chain. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, or, or maybe you didn't work fine, but the thing is... You had the opportunity. You had the opportunity to be right. fine. You had a lot of opportunities, and more opportunities than a lot of other people. And there were other people that may have deserved opportunities more than you did. But you, you had them, and you either exploited them or you didn't exploit them. But, but as, you know, women started getting opportunities, mm-hmm. as minorities, and as, you know, people from China coming to the United States and working on a railroad, and their sons, and later sons and daughters, grandkids, great-grandkids go on, and, you know, it, 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 it's, it, but they all, they all adapted, but they had opportunities that they're, Predecessors didn't didn't have uh, women and our uh, gays. Mm-hmm. You know, man, if you didn't hide it really well, you'd have a lot of problems. Well, now most places it's, it's it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. Um, and 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 but the people get up into, into but but the thing is, for some people that may not have made the turn economically. If there are people that are getting opportunities, mm-hmm. if you're not, if I'm not doing well, right. if somebody's getting an opportunity, they must be taking it away from me. Yeah. And the fact is, you know, the analogy I like to use is my mom and dad grew up in a little bitty town in Magnolia, Arkansas, southern Arkansas. My dad grew up on a farm. My mother was the the, the daughter of a man that owned a little radio 
TV repair shop. I mean, I think they had two employees, three. It was right off the town square. And, and they went to Magnolia High School, public high school. And my dad used to talk about the woman that was the chemistry teacher at his high school. And my parents got great educations, even though it's this little bitty town, right. this little bitty public school. But the thing about it is, when this, this woman that was teaching chemistry, for a woman in the 1930s, you know what? That was as good an opportunity. She could be really, 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 really bright. Yeah. But that was about as good an opportunity as she was going to get. Today, you know, or 50 years later, she'd be a, chem she'd be a PhD chemist at DuPont, yeah. you know, at, at, at some great, you know, but, but, the, but the thing is that, so that, but if I'm not doing well, and a woman is doing well, and she must have taken an opportunity, even though she may have a PhD in, in physics, and I may have flunked biology one. You know, I mean, you know, but you 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 resent people for getting chances that you 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 want to blame somebody. Right. And maybe it's immigrants, maybe it's illegal, you know, and, and you know, most people that lose jobs in the United States, they don't lose them to an illegal immigrant. Nope. You know, they may have lost, lost to a robot, yes. you know, to a machine, or maybe they worked in a factory in Michigan, mm -hmm. and maybe that factory, a car plant, moved to Tennessee, yeah. or maybe it was around the world, but whatever. But you want to blame somebody, something, for you're not doing well. Yeah. But it, but it's, it, it creates all this angst. Yes. And, 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 and in the United States, I use the example of in the 50s, 60s, 70s, early 80s, a guy could graduate from high school, white or yeah, African American, uh, Latino, uh, as to a certain extent. But you could go to you graduate from high school, and you could get maybe you could get a good job in assembly line, a union yeah. job, and it paid pretty well. And it paid well enough that if your wife wanted to stay home and raise the kids, you were doing well enough that that could happen. Yeah. And if you were, you might be able to do well to buy a little camp on the lake yeah. or a fishing boat, mm -hmm. but you could have a middle class lifestyle. A good lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Today, you know, you could have you know one car, two cars, you know, you, you, a garage. But today, without a high school, with with only a high school degree, oh, that's really, really, really hard. Yeah. And. People have hard time. So I, I think what we're seeing, some of that is around the world, or people having freedoms in the internet, where it's opening vistas yes. that you never, that, 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 and you resent that somebody else. Yes. So it's creating this turmoil so that things, it, it, it's, you know, we're getting disruption, mm -hmm. and some of it's creative disruption, and some of it may not to be terribly creative, but creating this disruption, and it's affecting voting patterns, yes. and and we're also seeing, at least in the United States, uh, ideological sorting, where... Listen to part two of Charlie's interview as he discusses his thoughts on the 2020 Democratic nominees, Michael Bloomberg's chances, and the Republican strategy to get Donald Trump re-elected in 2020.